Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 186. I want to thank you for taking the time to join me on this episode today. So um, before I get started, um, I just want to take take just a second to um, once again thank everybody who um, all across the world in places that um, I never knew this message could go or I haven't even heard of. Um, the the impact of this podcast, whether felt or unfelt by me, is going to places and God is using it uh, for His glory, for the building up of His saints, for the spreading of the gospel. And I'm just eternally grateful to God and to you all who either maybe for the first time are tuning into this or maybe you have faithfully followed along through all of these 185 previous episodes. So um, I just want to thank those who have journeyed with me thus far. Um, I pray that you continue to find richness inside of these discussions. And um, and then as well as um, maybe those who are coming for the first time, uh, hopefully God plants in your heart something special and that you glean from this uh, something impactful. My, my hope in all of these is that I shine light into God's Word to, to magnify the, the, the place of the imagination uh, the hopefulness, uh, the excitement around God's Word, um, always connected to the truth of what God has said. But I want to encourage those to to discover what it is to unearth the treasure that is in God's Word. So today we're going to take a, a little time speaking on a passage that I continue to unpack, but, um, and this is just uh, touching the surface on it, many episodes could be devoted to a full study of it, and perhaps that will be the case, but um, for today, it's just kind of a surface introduction, and hopefully it incites you into further exploration uh, into it. Um, But we're coming from uh, Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. And uh, this is specifically regarding a parable that Jesus spoke on of um, a wedding feast, or some translations may say a wedding banquet. Um, So this is Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14, and um, we'll begin reading this and then unpack some things. So it says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who had been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention 
and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king noticed, or but when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. So this is a, as we said, a parable. It's a story that is with the intention of um, exemplifying a lesson. Um, it, this story could be true. It could be um, just a, um, a made-up story, but it's to illustrate a point um, or to establish a principle. And, and Jesus often and very frequently spoke in parables. He taught in examples and pictures and illustrations. And and so when we unpack um, examples in Scripture like this, um, it's important to, to first ask the Lord to help you understand and to see and to, uh, to um, get clarity regarding what is being said. Another important thing, um, and that is the first and most important thing, but a an, an additional importance is it is important to be familiar with Scripture or at least how to navigate it so that you can find meaning inside of Scripture already. Um, so what am I saying there? I, I'm trying to say that there are there are many instances where examples of how we can understand something is already defined or illustrated in other scripture. So when we can, um, when we come across certain scripture, um, we see this very often in the Book of Revelation. There are uh, figures of speech, or there are um, phrases that are given to us that. On the surface, they may seem very confusing, and we may not have a paradigm for that. But if you are actually familiar enough with Scripture, you can find uh, traces of those exact phrases or terminologies. You can find them in the Old Testament, and so you can get a context uh, better for what's being said, and you're not strictly relying on some sort of imaginative parallelism. So so let we can 
let the Bible define or explain itself. So that's another important thing to consider when you're when you're navigating text that um, may be difficult to understand or may seem very symbolic. What can what can we find in other scriptures to help uh, uh, illuminate the text that we're navigating? So here it's important to as we make our way through the text, it's important to to notice things that are mentioned um, in the text for the first time, um, any things that you may see repeated in the text. And so here, in the very onset of the, the sentence, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like... So that's important to catch that at the very onset of Jesus' discourse here. He is trying to illustrate to them what the kingdom is like. Now, Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven, and you see in other gospels um, the kingdom of God is used. Now, we're we're keeping in mind Matthew's writing primarily to a Jewish audience who would have a really hard time uh, navigating the written word of God. So here we see kingdom of heaven. So don't get so tied up on this idea of heaven per se, but more so keeping in, I guess, anchored to your... uh, understanding of the kingdom of God is um, the realm in which Jesus is king. And that has a, a the very broad overarching um, generality to it, but it allows, by keeping it general, um, it, it allows it freedom to encompass many areas. Where Jesus is king, He's that means he's... Uh, he has authority over illness and sickness. Um, his it, it's a place of his exercise sovereignty. It's it allows freedom to to incorporate uh, Jesus's power and his rule and his dominion. So this this idea of the kingdom of God being that which um, where Jesus is king there. There's also this disconnected thinking, um, I, I myself struggle with this, is this sequestering of this idea of the spiritual and the earthly. We say, you know, well, you know, Jesus is king definitely in heaven, but we think about all that's happening here on earth, and we think about all of the departures from um everything that he embodied in himself is you know our our countries and our nations and our cities seem to be far removed from this reality of Jesus as king but we we need not um flirt with that idea because um what we do when we think about well Everything I see does not 
illustrate the fact that Jesus is king here on earth. Um, no doubt there is a coming, um, a, a ultimate and final kinghood of Christ enthroned where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. There's no, no doubt that that is coming, but we need not allow or permit ourselves to think that or entertain the notion that, well, for right now, though, Jesus doesn't seem to be king. We can't allow what we see to dictate or determine or define our theology. Uh, that is, you know, our our perspective and understanding, our st- our study of of God. We don't allow what we see to determine or to dictate or to define our theology of God. So we have to we have to allow truth to speak louder than what we see. And you see many examples of that um, in in previous biblical texts where was it the prophet um, was it Elijah or Elisha where his um, servant couldn't see the the host of angels armies surrounding uh, their physical enemy around them who was outnumbering their physical enemy so there's realities present that we cannot see and we may not understand so we have to allow the truth of what God says to be to ring louder and to be more true than what we see. So this again this parable we're talking of is Jesus illustrating in a parable what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now we'll just kind of skip through some of this because I don't want to take up too much time and and I want to give you kind of uh, breadcrumbs to to navigate with but when you think think of um, many of what Jesus taught of in the New Testament and what some of the gospel writers authors that we have what they gave us regarding some of his sayings and there's quite a bit of of talk in various gospel accounts of this idea of a wedding and a bride and a groom and a feast and um, parties, if you will. And so we see that here in Matthew 22. And we also should notice at the very beginning that this king who has prepared this banquet for his son sent his servants to those who had been invited and to tell them to come. But they refused to come. Those invited did not want to come. And when we see this kind of in the world today, we we have this invitation that goes out to to all of those that we come in contact with, that we have example to shine the the gospel truth to them. And and you will notice that many of those that are invited don't desire to come. And he goes even further to send some more servants 
and say to them, those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner, he goes even then to tell them all that he had prepared, the oxen, the fattened cattle, they've been butchered, everything is ready, come to the wedding banquet. Now, this king had every right to, at the first invitation that was refused, he had every right to say, fair enough, you don't want to come, then I will move on. But you see, he even went further to extend the offer and then even to shine more additional light and revelation on what they were being offered. And so this just really speaks to the kindness and the patientness of God, of our Father through Christ. And we read on that they paid no attention and they went off. So we see that some went to their field, another to his business, and then um, to the rest, they seized this king's servants and mistreated them and killed them. So this is important to kind of notice here, and I never really noticed it before. But we see that some that were invited didn't, they didn't, none of them wanted to come. And some of them were busy about their own business. They had things going on. They didn't really have time to. And we think about this in in the context of those that we come in contact with from the spiritual side. They, you know, it's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not really, uh, I haven't really thought too much about this, or um, I'm, you know, I've got, I've just got too much going on right now. And so they have, they have these distractions. And But then we also find others who there is actually a hostility to what's being offered and who's offering it. Some of the rest of them, these those that were offered, seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. And so then we find out that this enrages the king. And so he sends his army and destroys those murderers and burned their city. Now think on this and I think it's an interesting thing to ponder on, is the king, enraged, sends an army and destroys those murderers. Do you think that all of those that were offered the opportunity to come, do you think they all were murderers? Do you think that we're just reading that those who physically harmed and murdered the servants were those who were destroyed and labeled as murderers, which then affected their city. You know, I wonder what this king identified the ones who were just too busy who had too much going on, they had a business to run, they had families that they were taking care of, and they didn't really have time to stop what they were doing. So I wonder how the king labels those. Um, now we can fairly easily see the, the parallel between the different phases or stages that these people were in. We see them today in our day. Some have stuff going on. Some are hostile to the gospel, hostile to what God makes available and what the cost of it is, you know, denying yourself. Um, we have an inclination to want to 
promote and facilitate ourselves, not to deny it. This is inherent in all of us that we must uh, put to death the flesh. And so it's interesting to think on. Um, and then we continue on, and it says, Then he said to his servants, we're talking the king, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. Now that's interesting because you often, you, you kind of think about this wedding feast and there's a lot of, you think, you know, go back to some, this uh, process of, of Jewish wedding and how that uh, process worked where a, um, a betrothal and ultimately a marriage and how that, that actually looks like a process um, in Jewish culture. And so you should, you should explore that to see how interesting the parallel is between that and what Christ has done and what Christ will do in the fulfillment of coming and capturing his bride. And so um, you should consider that and look into that if you've never seen it before. Um, but it's it's definitely fascinating how it parallels. And so when you think of this wedding feast and this kind of coming together of, of bride and groom, um, it, it's kind of it takes you off guard, at least it does me, when I think about inviting the bad as well as the good. So there's this mixed crowd. And so those who were were not invited got invited. We think I think about the the implications of, you know, the the the, the people um, of Israel, the Jewish people, they were invited to know Jesus to accept Jesus but they refu- not all some uh, rejected him and some even were hostile towards him and and so it was in the rejection of his origin from those of his original uh, people the Jewish people made way for the Gentile, that's non-Jew, to come to know him. The, the offerance of the gospel came to the Gentile. And so those who were not invited became invited. And so we see that here in the text. And he goes on to say that the bad as well as the good and the wedding hall was filled with guests but when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Now, I'll be honest here in this part. It is quite confusing. Um, what does that illustrate? How? What does that parallel? What does a... How does what are the implications of these these wedding uh, clothes or garments? Um, you know, when I think about when I think about an external wearing of something, I think of the righteousness of God 
in Christ that we are um, we are given God's righteousness through Christ. So in Him we have God's righteousness, and when when God sees us as children of God, He sees the righteousness of Christ. So when I think about these right wedding garments, I think about um, this this idea of of being adorned in the righteousness of God. And and so we see here this man was attending but he was not wearing the right things. So how you know think about all of those people who who would who would claim that there are many ways to God that there there are many paths to salvation. But but Jesus says that I am the way the truth and the life. No man can come to the Father except by me. And so it is only in the person of Jesus that we can find the right garment to to be adorned with. And so here we find this man attending this this banquet who was not properly dressed. And so what do we find being the reaction? The king told the attendants to tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There, That phrase, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, is very um, abundant. It's abundantly tied to this idea of, of eternal punishment and separation from God. And we think of that embodied in the place or the location of hell, which was created for Satan and his angels. And consequently, anyone who fails to give themselves to Christ to put their belief in him, in who he said he was, who he says he is, what he did, and how uh, that we go about obtaining the salvation that he offers us. Anyone who rejects that rejects the truth and therefore gives themselves in partnership to those the satanic the Satan and his angels, who the fallen angels, who would then ultimately be punished eternally, separated from God in this location that we call hell. And it makes no it makes no difference what how we define hell. Um, the Bible has some things to say about this lake of fire and this you know eternal torment. And those are all terrible images, and nobody likes this idea of hell. But the ultimate, um, the ultimate loss of hell is eternal separation from God. It's the absence of God's presence and an eternity of time to consider all the moments in which you, you had opportunities but rejected. I have no doubt that's probably the worst part of it all is a constant reality of knowing that you rejected and had opportunity. And so what what of all the things that hell could be, that would be the worst. And it's where God is not. Just like oppositely, heaven is not 
it's so much about this pearly gates and uh, streets of gold. Heaven is heaven because it's where God is. That's something that we often take for granted, and we have songs that have created culture uh, for a hundred years, and we've we've drifted from this idea that heaven is just where God is. It doesn't matter what it looks like or what's there, it's who is there, and God is there. The Son is there. The Spirit of God is there, and so Whatever it looks like, it it will be beyond anything we can imagine because he is present there. So that's important to to lay hold of um, in both of those realities. So here in Matthew 22, we see there's an invitation. And an invitation is any who would come are invited. And, and so that's, that's kind of an overarching theme of this, this parable that is illustrating the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Now, there is a similar, some similar language in another parable that I think for the sake of time, uh, we will maybe touch on next time. But um, if you have the ability to read ahead, please do so, Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Uh, Matthew 25, 1 through 13. And if we have time in that episode, um, explore John chapter 2, 1 through 10. And so we see a lot of uh, talk of feast and wedding and bride and groom and ceremony and celebration. And so I think next time we'll kind of unpack a little bit in Matthew 25, 1 through 13, and and see what we can glean from, from those texts. So thanks f- so much for tuning in on this episode. I pray that it was helpful to you, um, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. God bless. I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you.